You're listening to The Secret Sauce Podcast, unveiling life's hidden recipes for success, happiness, and fulfillment by finding the unique ingredients that shape individuals' extraordinary journeys. Hello, my name is Jeffrey Davis with Secret Sauce Podcast. And I'm Lynn Bush with Secret Sauce Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm just awesome. I'm just awesome. So we've... We've talked for three weeks in a row. I don't know if we've had a carried on topic yet, but um, I wanted to ask you again about the Deion Sanders phenomenon. Oh. And the Colorado Bulldogs. Yeah. So, so you, you hear him speak, you know, you hear him talk. Um, you know, there's people saying they think he's, he's the best coach, which I think is probably premature. But, you know, there's a lot of people believing what he said. I mean, there's the highest ranking college football game. Yeah. Maybe it was like 9.5 million people watched right. it. That's just right. crazy. Right. So, right. Uh, Dion certainly has the magic. He really does. But what's his magic? What's his secret sauce to you? I think his attitude. His attitude is so positive, and it always has been. I think even yeah. though he's a trash talker, I think yeah. he loves you more than you love you. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the thing is, that's, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. when he describes Jerry Rice, when he describes Terrell Owens, he knew every part of them, how they ticked and how they right. moved their shoulders and how they squinted their eyes and where they looked. I mean, he had to love you to know that much about you. And I think that's what, what he gives to his players is he lets them know how much he loves them. He really um, cares. And you, and you want to work hard for people you uh-huh. love, don't you? I mean, at least you did. Uh-huh. At least I think you should. Yeah, he always when he was playing, he always had a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of connection to the game. Mm-hmm. I think he has a lot of connection to the person. You know, I'm a yeah. firm believer. People don't buy products; they buy people. Yeah. Um, we were talking before the show started about, you know, my past career with with Saturn, who convinced people to to buy a product and a company not a price, um, which was a whole new concept for, for Americans. We all bought, everybody bought things off a of price, and they were telling you, hey, we're not the cheapest, and we may not be the best quality, but here's what you're going to pay for it because we said so. Uh, and it worked. It worked. I had a Saturn, and I loved my Saturn. So tell me more about the Saturn experience because I think it's so important. You know, when I first got there, I was I was a young 17 or 18-year-old kid uh, living on my own. And so um, being taught from a book, a philosophy that they wanted me to follow was not hard. I think that might have been for a lot, but I was eager to find and, and to see something new that worked. And um, they'd almost taken away the salesmanship from the salesman they wanted they wanted you to follow it, do it, script it. You know, there were seven steps that they wanted you to follow once you got your client inside, whether it be the walkthrough, the tour, the sit down, the meet and greet, the the product showcase. There was a there was a there was a system. There was a system. Tell me about the system. Well, you had to, you know, you had to sell the company, you had to sell yourself, and then you had to sell the product. So, how did you sell the company? Well, I was just telling them who Saturn was, where they came from. It was a European company called Opel Vector in the beginning. It wasn't Saturn. It was Saturn was a 
the car wasn't a Saturn made, created just for Americans. It was already a, a, a selling vehicle in Europe. And then it was just really the, the philosophy behind Saturn. You know, they, they cared more. They opened up a brand new plant in uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee. And mm-hmm. it was a state-of-the-art plant with new products and new, new everything. You know, from, you know, it was the first time I think mm-hmm. they had a lot of AI or, or uh, robots mm-hmm. making cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to the philosophy of, you know, everywhere else you're going to negotiate on a price of a car. But here at Saturn, you're going to pay the window sticker. So that made a lot of difference for people who didn't know how to negotiate or who were afraid of negotiating. So that that meant the the buyer could go in there and not have to go through the the difficult what appeared to be the difficult behavior of negotiating. Yeah, I think the car business had gotten a bad name at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they wanted something that was simple and they didn't feel like they were losing when they left. Right. And I think a lot of people felt like they right. were losing when they left. When when I got out of the car business, I was in Austin and they were starting companies and I'll go back to Saturn. But um, I was going to go work for like Auto Trader, like a, you know, a, 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 a dot com auto industry mm-hmm. company. And the lady said, why do we want to hire you? You're from the people that we're trying not to be. Right. And I thought, wow. 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 Like, and this was a probably someone straight out of college who had never sold a car, or uh-huh. had shaken a hand in a parking lot, or directed somebody to come to them, or had a complaint filed against them that they had to talk to them about, or been in a boss's office that yelled at them. They had they had no idea, and I thought, how are you going to grow a a dot com that you you don't know? Because um, Saturn was a lot. Um, I think over time they eventually uh, succumbed to. To the the woke car buyers, because at some point they started negotiating their price. Well, it's interesting. At the beginning, when, when I bought my Saturn, it was at the beginning. And so there was something that made me buy that Saturn instead of another car. Tell me more about what what Saturn did that made me buy that car and made me love that car. The cars were never were not anything different than right. the Pontiacs. So a right. lot of the same lines that were called Saturns were also Pontiacs, the right. two doors, the Slyness. Right. So it wasn't the car. No, it was, it was the, the person at that, that deal. You know, you've talked about it. Your your birthday card that you got in the mail once a year, the picture that you took as you were leaving the dealership, the glass box that they right. walked you around and right. and told you everything about your new car that you were getting, the, the inside look of the dealerships. I mean, it was where... You know, the car business changed forever because all these car dealerships now have a themed right. entrance and Toyota looks like this and Chevrolet looks like this. They were all beat up old metal buildings that were car dealerships back in the day with a, you know, a scary finance office right, that you went right. into. And everybody wore the same colored shirt every day. We are all we knew what day of the week to wear the same colored shirt. So it was it was friendly and inviting. Um and when my when my car got its birthday card, the every person who worked on it as it was being made signed that birthday card. I had never gotten a birthday card from a car company before. That was that was different. Well, there was no customer service. CSI, which was Customer Service Index back then, um, uh, they were the first people to send out surveys. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't get a survey from your title company back then uh-huh. or other car companies back right. then. You got them from, from Saturn. And it was also how my particular 
owners of our Saturn dealership got to go buy more Saturn dealerships was based off of how good their customer service uh-huh. index was. And there was no other car company that even cared what it was. They just peddled cars, just make them go away. And it didn't stop when you bought the car. When you took it in for its service, you had a nice waiting room. You had a TV to watch. You had pizza. When I was at Saturn, our service department made more money than the sales department Uh did. Mm -hmm. You always took your car back there for its service because they made you feel good. Well, it was was a comfortable spot. It was different. It was like going to... To somewhere nice. I mean, you weren't sitting down for dining, but they had the coffee place mm-hmm. that nobody else had and the friendly staff that knew your name. And, um, you know, it was a philosophy. It was a, it was the right time. People were looking for yeah. for hope. They were they were wanting someone to help tell them everything was going to be okay and we can answer things for you. There was a lot of people that wanted, wanted there was a lot of people in life at that point, I think, that wanted someone to make decisions for them. Uh-huh. And so Saturn was there at the Saturn right time, there. at the right place. Right. Uh, so Saturn impacted other other car dealers. I mean, I'm no Harvard grad, but I'd be willing to bet you there's a Saturn story that's taught at Harvard Business School about mm-hmm. its philosophy or mm-hmm. how they came to be. I mean, right. my particular owner bought seven or eight or nine other Saturn dealerships all over the country uh-huh. from from that little bitty old store in Lubbock, Texas, who had probably would have never had the opportunity to own stores in, you know, so three what different you, cities. What would you say was the secret sauce that Saturn had? The customers. The customers. The customers always right. Well no, it was it was it was the uniqueness of the customers. Okay. You know okay. Subaru yeah. has that customer today. Uh-huh. We all kind of know somebody that has a uh-huh. Subaru, and they uh-huh. kind of remind you of a Subaru customer. In fact, I bought a Subaru after I had. I could have guessed. Had that. my Saturn, <laughs> but it wasn't the same. It, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the, same. the same at all. And so I, I just think it was it was the customers because if they bought one Saturn from you, they bought more than uh-huh. one, and uh-huh. they refer their friends to you. It was that uh-huh. it was that humble middle class that you know they wanted an affordable car back then. It was one of the fewer. It was one of the nicer cars for the money. Uh-huh. Uh, I can still remember selling cars for car payments at 36 and 48 months under $200 a month. Right, right. You know, cars were twelve, fourteen thousand dollars right, back then. Right, God, yeah. Now I don't think there's a car built under $30,000. Oh, I don't think so. I think there was a news article yeah. about it. So it was the customers. It was... It was who they created. Uh-huh. And, the, and, the, and who they created was a following, even if it was just two or three percent of the buying public if they were buying cars every four years and you were having two or three or four percent of 300 million people buy Saturns they built a big following that grew a company pretty quickly I would I would think and, I mean, and the Saturn people on the Saturn would wave at each other when when they saw another Saturn on the road see I didn't ever own one I drove yeah. a bunch of them but I didn't yeah. own any of them yeah I did some things in some Saturns. I, I I took a Saturn 127 miles an hour down wow. a road outside of Lubbock, Texas one wow. time. Which I don't know many people that have driven a Saturn right. over 120 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> and when we had the big hailstorm because it had that roof that was flexible. Polymer. Uh-huh. It had one little tiny dent in the mm-hmm. roof and all the other cars in the area had their roofs damaged. Gosh, do you know how many times I banged on the side of that the, the, of a Saturn to show them it wouldn't dent? Right. <laughs> I uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I was I was known for making up stuff 
back in my younger years, and I made up some story about a Saturn, about some some part of the Saturn. And when I was at Spring Hill, Tennessee, um, they were having people from all over the country do walkthroughs of the Saturn car. And someone used my made up line uh, about a Saturn car. And it just, my like red bells went off. I knew exactly that he was lying because I'd made that shit up myself. And <laughs> I was like, wow, that, that guy all the way around the country. And I'll tell you the other thing. You ever seen t-shirts that say life is good? So there's a, a buddy of mine and I, it was really his saying, but I kind of took it over and we used to say life is good all the time. Um, I got to Spring Hill, Tennessee, and there were some, some, some group of men that were in that class from Tennessee took my line mm-hmm. because it was it, the people who have printed the shirts and made money off of it are from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But they had to take it out of that Saturn meetings while we were there. It was either salespeople or a general manager, but they took our line from Lubbock, Texas, Life is Good, and right. made T-shirts. <laughs> and I've seen tires on the back of Jeeps that say Life is Good. Right. That's, a, that's a Jeff Davis <laughs> and Doug Horn original right there. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think they touched everybody. I think there's a lot of businesses are created today off of philosophy. Certainly, customer service is important. But you know, we bought a a car recently, and um, um, they told us we were going to be getting a survey. They told me how they wanted me to answer the survey, regardless of how I felt on it. They needed me to answer it this way because they'd all die and lose their jobs and not be able to feed their kids. It was like it was. <laughs> It was like the end of the world to them. Right. And I don't think that's customer service. Right. You, you earn earn it. And today, back then, we were earning yeah. the right for you to come back and buy another yeah. car from us. Today, they just they expect you to. They really don't even care whether you do. Just fill out the survey properly. Uh-huh. And that's uh-huh. what I got out of it. And I, uh-huh. I don't think I filled it out at all. I think I threw it away. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, because like for AT&T, when they want you to give them a, a rating, like if you don't give them a good rating, they're punished. And so that makes the customer feel like we're responsible for something that we're really not responsible for. See, and I don't want to be responsible for somebody else's life like that. Exactly. So if I'm not complaining, exactly. I, just, I, just, yeah. I just move on. Yeah. Um, you know, Southwest Airlines, you know, talking about customer service. I can't think of the guy's name who started Southwest but grew it to the company at the yeah. other day. But but they had a gigantic siren and flashing lights that after the second ring in their call center, mm-hmm. if the phone wasn't picked up, the whole floor knew that that phone call needed to be picked uh-huh. up. And they answered every phone call by the uh-huh. third phone call. Now, I, I was on hold with Southwest Airlines one time. They wanted me to be on hold for 22 minutes. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was like, wow, how do you do this? Southwest has changed. And I'm Texan, so yeah. me trying to talk to an automated service is like, they don't even under, it's like me speaking Japanese to them. Like, uh-huh. none of my words get picked up correctly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Autocorrect doesn't even work for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting here talking about airplanes earlier. Are you a flyer? I am not a flyer. I don't like to fly. I've flown most uh-huh. of my life. I don't like it. I don't uh-huh. enjoy it. When I was seven years old, I was sitting in the library with my father, and he was looking at his airplane magazines, which he had a lot of. And I said, Daddy, why don't, why don't you have a plane? All your friends have planes. And he said, because if you don't go up in a plane, you won't crash. Mm-hmm. And that little seven-year-old mind 
bought that. Never forgot it. I never forgot it. So every time I fly, I have my will updated and I have my house clean because I, of course, am going to die. I never do. But so that that made flying very strange for me for the rest of my life. So it's I've my, flown a lot, but I haven't enjoyed it. It's definitely since I was uh, my, my kid's age and they had the same passion for planes. But it's been my lifelong secret sauce. Is yeah. That, I've always, always wanted to own my own plane. So are you uh, going to? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I can see it happening. You know, I'm Deion Sanders. Yeah. I, I, I can see the day where I'm flying in my own plane. I don't know if I'm flying it anymore. Back uh-huh. in the day, I wanted to fly it. Uh-huh. And maybe not so much anymore. But um, I can see me riding in my own plane. Uh, I can see my kids getting right. out of right. my plane. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not a dream. Uh-huh. I'm just working towards it. I'm just not there yet, um, but I can see it. And see, what's interesting about what my story and your story, both of those stories started in our mind. Oh, yes. Yeah, whether it's positive or negative, yeah, it starts in your mind. And I, at seven, I didn't know enough to stop that negative story. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know enough to. Trying to think about that. I mean, yeah. I knew a lot of negative stories by that time in my life but because you, of my childhood. But uh, I but certainly you hang on to them. Yes, yeah. I just never, I never, yeah. I never, I never remember ever having the the not have the will to go achieve what uh-huh. I wanted, uh-huh. um, right. right? Regardless of where I was at in my life, and so yeah, that that same father who who put that thought in my head about flying also had me read Think and Go Rich mm-hmm. when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So that was the start of what's in my mind that's positive is important. Yeah, so do you you, you believe people think things true? Of course, uh-huh. of course. You Can you think things to become reality? You can, and you mm-hmm. can also think things to be negative. Yeah. You can think yourself into being sick. Uh-huh. People do it all the time. What is that called? A hypochondriac? Is that right? Do I use well, the right word? Well, a hypochondriac believes they're sick. They're not necessarily thinking themselves into being sick. They just think they're sick. There's a little difference. Mm. They like they like being sick because they get rewards of some kind from that. Yeah. And yeah. I don't I don't get rewarded from being sick. Uh, right. And I'd rather be doing stuff and right, sitting at right. home is no no fun for right, exactly. for me at least. Exactly. But it but being sick sometimes gives people some kinds of attention, attention. and yeah. secondary gains. Is there is there, are there more attention seekers in, in our younger generation Zs than our we're back in people my age or are were there more drama in my age and I don't know. I I wonder. I, I think I think there may be more attention-seeking. Maybe it just presents in a different way. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. Yeah, with social media, it's a whole different Uh experience. You're Uh not just complaining and seeking Uh attention from mom and dad. Now you've got hundreds, if not Uh thousands of people that you can get some sort of attention from Uh Uh almost at any second of any part of any day today. Right. All you have to do is text. Turn it on. Yeah. 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 Do your part. Facebook. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Tweet. Instant gratification, right? Mm. I think that's uh, that's hard. That's it's hard to teach employees that instant gratification doesn't really work out in the real world. Not in business. Um, things take time. There's practices. Right. There's right. philosophies. There's steps. Right. Um, you have you know. to have patience. 
Yeah, and that's hard in business today. There's, mm-hmm. Nobody really wants to be the the patient-minded person of the, of the deal. Everybody wants to see it happen quickly uh-huh. and fast uh-huh. and do things to, to, you know, if you push a deal down someone's throat too fast, you're going to scare them off. Right. And so... Uh, if you want to, if you want to chase big deals, your secret sauce better be patience uh, and being honest. You know, being right. forthright, with, I, right, with what you're saying to people. So, and to be able to read where that person is. So when you yawn, do other people around you yawn? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was reading the other day that that's a, there's an actual term that talks about how people do mimicking mimic you and if you want to see who's paying attention and uh who's the light one in a room when when everybody laughs in a room you watch who everybody's looking at to see who's the most important person to them in that room and mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm constantly trying to get my brain to better recognize the people in my surroundings right right and so i try to read and mm-hmm. stay up to to snuff with anything I can get my hands on that talks about yeah. know, recognizing of people's yeah. patterns that, you know, it's, it's all a pattern basically. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I work real hard at it, but I watch people intently. I, I'm constantly watching people in my surroundings, uh, what they say, where they say it. Uh-huh. And then my weird brain, if, if it doesn't make sense, and that's the one that, that, that I starts drawing out to me why. Um, you know, I had a, a deal the other day. We were working on a big land deal, and the buyer was so confident about things that they shouldn't have been confident about in the deal. And so I had told my partner that uh, we had to look further into to the why of that because that was the reason why they were going to close or not close. It wasn't the the deal or the land or the location. It was what do they know about this deal that they're so far aware of it that, that we're not? And maybe they told me a story and along the way. And if you tell me a story along the way, you really set off red flags. And so I really start watching of what your patterns are and what your reasoning behind not being forthright with me. And, and sure enough, they, uh, I discovered that, uh, water and sewer in our business is super duper important. Right. And I discovered that the new guy at their office was an ex-employee of the water and sewer district in the area that we were just putting some land under contract for. So the reason why they knew so much more than I did um, and were so confident in the deal is Uh that the water guy who knew where all the water and sewer was coming from worked for their company now. Oh, my. And so, you know, and, and... and it was great. It wasn't like that changed the deal, but that certainly let me know that my deal was more secure mm-hmm. than it was before. Because you know, instead of us going and finding the answers to it, the, mm-hmm. I, I, my, I didn't have to go find those answers or, or waste my time on that part of the deal because I knew they already had those answers right, better right, than I did. Right. That's interesting. They already knew. They knew. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they, he had told me in our conversations. He had said that. Uh, uh, had already met with the city manager. Uh-huh. And I had a meeting with the city manager who knew nothing of them. Um, um, and so I knew that, that that their corporation hadn't met with the city manager, but, but it started making me think, okay, well, 
who had met with the city manager? How, how did you have this information? And I was talking to a third party about buying some land from them, and they brought up the utility company that they were dealing with. Uh-huh. And I remembered my conversation with the guy a month ago, and that was the utility company that right. he came from. Right, so, right. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the secret sauce to any big deal. You've, you've got to be prepared to... to, to, to catalog all those things uh-huh. that you're hearing along the way uh-huh. so that when they do become relevant on the third deal, the fourth deal, the sixth deal, the, you know, I deal with someone that's not even touching any part of these people, but you've got some inside information right. down the road. It sure does uh, make things a lot easier to, to get there and to figure it out. It's, it's a puzzle that is always in process. Yes. And new pieces are coming in. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not as, you know, I mean, I, I heard someone loud and clear and they said, stop chasing the small deals. Uh-huh. You know, you're wasting, you're putting just as much time and All effort right. into the, to the $100,000 deals as you're putting into five or $6 million deals. You just have to be ready for those moments to, to come to fruition because they're, you know, they don't happen overnight. You know, you got to have the patience for them. Right, right. Sometimes you're putting more effort into the small deals. You are, yeah, absolutely, you are. Mm-hmm. But but if if it's risk and reward, um, then play with the the big boys. The mm-hmm. reward's bigger. Uh-huh. How old were you when you started knowing that you were going to be successful? Oh, probably way early on. I was reading the business page from okay. as long as I can remember. Um, How old do you think you were? It probably wasn't really until I got into the land business. So it probably wasn't until I, I got to Austin. And, okay. um, I knew that I wasn't just a car salesman out of Lubbock, Texas. Mm-hmm. I guess that's when I probably okay. knew, knew, because I was, I, was, I was in a world with people 20 years older than I was, and I was kicking their ass. Okay. And so I, I, I think I knew then, um, and then I just lost my way for a couple of years, and then and then found my way again, and I knew creating things was was part of my secret sauce. I could I could see the roadmap of how to create a business, how to make it successful, uh-huh. how to get it going. Maybe okay. I wasn't great at making it <clears throat> successful, but I knew how to get okay. businesses going. And I started a natural gas company, a generator company. A, you know, we've we've done home building, development, uh, a so little bit of all of it. Going to tell me the system of starting those businesses, what would it be? I think a lot of people starting companies, entrepreneurs today, think that starting a company means you need to have the paperwork and the, and the legal documents and the know-how and the distributors and the, all the things that make up your ability to. Um, I think you got to do is the secret sauce. You know, when I wanted to start a generator company, I went and knocked on doors and see if I could get people to buy generators from me at $10,000 a pop. Uh-huh. And once I got someone to agree, actually, I, it was a whole street. It was like I got the first person on the street to to agree to sell buy a generator from me. And then he wanted me to go see his neighbor. And then okay. his neighbor called somebody else. And before I knew it, at the end of that evening, I had four people on that street okay. wanting $40,000 worth of generators from me. And so then I was able to to go to my money man and say, hey... 
I want to become a Generac dealer and Kohler dealer and a right. Briggs and Stratton dealer. And I've sold $40,000 worth of generators on this street that probably cost us 10 total to put them uh-huh. all in. So we're up 30 grand already. Uh-huh. And that's what started the business. It wasn't hunting down the Generac dealer and getting him to come to my office and talk to us about how many thousands of dollars in generators we've got to buy to become a dealer and who we can buy them from and what a three-way switch is and a two-way switch and an automatic transfer and a gas generator and a LP generator. I mean, none of that stuff was right. was a lick of importance if I couldn't sell them. If I couldn't so, make them go away. So part of that system is just just start doing it. Yeah, I think you you got a great idea. Um, lots of people think you keep it to your breast. You don't tell people mm-hmm. about it. I think you tell people about it that aren't in that field. You know, mm-hmm. if I want to start a real estate company and I have a great real estate idea, I'm not going and telling every broker in town my mm-hmm. my real estate idea. But am I talking to all my IT guys and and people that aren't in the industry that don't know real estate like, like I do but think it's a great idea or tell me they think it's stupid? Uh-huh. Those are the people I'm getting my advice from. Uh-huh. And so I do. I think you've got to get it out there. And start getting feedback from people. The moment you think you're ready to try to start doing something, I think you start getting feedback immediately. Because people will tell you, hey, maybe you tweak it a little bit. Maybe you hit Mm -hmm. this road. If you've already got the conceptual idea in place and you have your rock, having all those hundred people tell you how to change your rock doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're set in your ways. You have your idea. Uh Before you form that rock, I think you've got to get the hundred people to give you the advice that helps you create your foundation of where you want to start and how you get there. So you start with the customer. Oh, I think you have to start by making whatever you, ultimately, whatever you want to create as a business, you have to, someone else has to want it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I think you start with the somebody else first. Uh Uh-huh, that's interesting. And if they want it. Then work backwards and, uh-huh. and go and create what they wanted. Uh-huh. Tell you a funny story. So so Hurricane, Rita, Katrina, and then ICAP and all kind of all three in a row. Mm-hmm. And lots of people around the Woodlands, Conroe, the East, North Houston area, we all had generators, but none of us could really power more than one or two things in our house because uh-huh. if you cross electrical wires in a house and you start a fire, then your insurance company doesn't cover it. There's just lots of no-nos during hurricanes not to do. So we all wished we would have had something we could plug in our generators to our house and run certain items off of. Um, And so um, I even went to to Donald Horton, who's running D.O. Horton today. He was the regional manager for Horton in the Houston area. And I went to Home Depot I had a friend that was an electrician, and we put a 220 plug on an electrical box, and we told them that it was our transfer switch. Right. And we went to D.R. Horton and told them we wanted them to start putting it on their houses. That it would allow people to plug their generators into to the transfer switch, and they could turn on their, their, their refrigerator or their TVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't turn everything on in the house because it pulls so many amps, and if you're trying to pull more amps in the generator, then it'll pop right. circuits. But anyways, that was more complicated than we were trying to get at. Right. And he liked it, and he told me what my missing items were for him to to be able to put it on his houses. One of them was insurance. Right. He wanted me to get it insured by Lloyd and, Lloyd and Lloyd, Lloyd's, Lloyd's of, of London. London. 
because they would they would insure something that would be on a house for uh-huh. tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars depending uh-huh. on how many you put on. Um, and so that became an issue. Designing it wasn't really an issue, um, but the insurance was an issue. We never tried to get it patented or anything, and we we ended up in, didn't we? End up being, oh, uh, creating generator companies when you started selling generators after that. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I still have the box in, in my storage building. Uh, that was the original, um, but it, but it was it was the slingshot to creating. Two other companies, uh-huh. one of them still in existing with uh-huh. over 100 employees. Uh-huh. Uh, ex-friend of mine or, or an old friend of mine runs the company. Um, and who knows how many tens of thousands of houses have got generators on it. And last because year. Because of failure with D.R. Horton. Last year, I had a transfer switch put in my house. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, that was the other part of the story. Right. I don't know who heard me or who saw what I was creating, but uh-huh. within a couple of years, someone had created a transfer switch for a house uh-huh. where you could plug in your generator, uh-huh. your uh-huh. your roll up generator right. into a house. Right. Um, it wasn't us in in Houston. Um, it's kind of like potpourri. I know this is a funny one. Potpourri. Um, they used to be matches, and my ex wife was at Texas Tech and living in the dorm, and they all struck matches to cover up mm-hmm. smell in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So she asked if we if if you could put potpourri on it. Uh-huh. So I said I don't know. So I went to University of Texas to the chemistry department, and walked into whatever dean's office was there. I was kind of that was kind of my knack in the day. I could show up kind of anywhere when right. I wanted to. Um, he told me I'd never get the smell out of the sulfur uh-huh. to create potpourri out of it uh-huh. of any sort. Within. Gosh, it had, before she left college, there was potpourri matches, uh-huh. and the company that created them was out of Austin, Texas. They ended up selling it to Wicks and Sticks, oh, it was also out of Austin, uh-huh. Texas. Um, so I wonder if the professor took my idea, probably did, with his chemical and, right. and I mean, because he had all the he had all the ability. He had this. I mean, he had right. who knows how many graduate students working for him, mm-hmm. and they had the ability to create, mm-hmm. f- try to solve my problem backwards. They, right. they knew what we wanted. Now they had to recreate it backwards, which is how I create companies in my head. Uh-huh. Is I, I get there, and then I, I how do you, how do you get there? Uh-huh. You know, I, I I see there, right. But my secret sauce is being able to work backwards and start right. and get to where I've already seen. So potpourri is interesting because I have cats, and one of my friends had cats, and we would put a bowl of potpourri, you know, the little flowers and stuff. Mm. And the cats would get in there and knock it around. Oh, yeah. So we had the idea, and we got this idea from a flea market where somebody had crystals that they were putting smell on, mm-hmm. and they were selling it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we had had an idea of making a company to sell that. So we set up a, a place in her, in her house where we could buy the, the crystals from Home Depot, the salt crystals, uh-huh. and we could... Make the make the smells and put it on the crystals, and then we would put it in plastic bags and we cellophane bags. We had to find cellophane bags that were strong enough <clears throat> to hold the the, the yes yes those crystals. Yeah, because they're full of water now. We didn't have the internet in those days. We did have we did have a, a you know a sort of an internet, but not like we have today. 
we finally found a company that manufactured the plastic bags or the cellophane bags thick enough. And we found it online. But actually, it was interesting because the company was in Fort Worth. The Mm. only company in the United States was in Fort Worth. So we found the bags. We produced the, the, the potpourri in the cellophane bags. We went to market in Dallas. Then we went to market in Phoenix. Then we went to market in Atlanta. Within a year, our product was being sold in every state in the United States. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh-huh. And, and it, it, it turned out that she wanted to take it in a different direction. She wanted to open up stores. I didn't, so we closed the company. But that came from the cat knocking the potpourri out of, out of the bowl. Uh-huh. Crazy. And there are dozens of stories out of, out of failure came greatness. You know, uh-huh. Kendra Scott's one of them. Right, you know, right. Her, her hat shop was right. not working, but the jewelry she sold at her hat shop sold. Right. And she became a world-class jewelry person, right? Her story is great. And, and what she produced was so desirable for so many people. Her it was, product. It was Saturn. It was, a, it, it was it fake was, jewelry. It was the Saturn. Being sold for a high number. Right. And you were told you're going to love it, and they did. Right, right. And I agree. I still have my wife loves Kendra mm-hmm. Scott. Are those Kendra Scott earrings you're wearing today? Actually, they are. Uh, I thought they were. I thought I'd seen that <laughs> green before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just love the story or love her jewelry? Which one is I, it? I love the I love the jewelry because it's it's you know it's it's pretty, mm-hmm. but I love the story. Mm-hmm. I love the story, and I love her stores. Mm-hmm. She gives a ton of credit to her stepdad. Uh huh. He must have been a brilliant man. And one of the things she does on your birthday month, you can buy something for half price Mm. or a discount. It used to be half price. I'm not sure what it is now. Uh, But your your male friends on their birthday, your husband, your boyfriend, your friend, could also get earrings for half price. Oh, really? On my month? Right. So oh, on your month, you so can on, go in. And Christmas, I've never gotten that discount at Christmas. So so on your birthday month, you can get a discount and buy bust, earrings. I'm going to bust you can, out my, 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 my driver's license. Yeah. Yeah, my, you can either wear them yourself or give them to your wife. I don't know if she's ever been into a Kendra Scott store, and she probably has 100 pieces of Kendra Scott yeah. jewelry. I, I buy all of it, so, so I should be getting the so discount. On right? your birthday, you can go in and get a discount. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and actually, I'm I'm sure on your children's birthday they can go in and. Well, I've got boys. They, well, you know, they have they have men. But they can now, give it to their mother. Okay. That's 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 daddy's gift. That's, that's right. I've already checked that one off. Okay. That's 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 what I'm using. So they can give it to you. Figure out your own gift, boy. They can give it to you and you can give it to your (laughs) wife. (laughs) Well, thanks for for the show today. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. It was good seeing you again. Yeah, it's fun to have these conversations. It is. It's been a great time today. Thank you for your time. I'm Jeffrey Davis with Secret Sauce Podcast. And I'm Lynn Bush. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Secret Sauce Podcast. Follow us on social media at The Secret Sauce Pod to receive daily encouragement on how to find your secret sauce to life. 